0: We're in our series called Move, and looking at the life of David. And and one of the things we've been doing is we've been looking at incidents in David's lives, and then looking at Psalms that were written to reflect those, that kind of give us an insight to what David was feeling at the time. Now, to set up today's lesson, I need us to go back in history just a little bit. How many of you remember this song right here? Jolene by Dolly Parton. Let me remember that. came out in 1974. It was kind of one of her breakout hits, That and I Will Always Love You, were on the same album that year, and it really catapulted Dolly Parton to the point of where, you know, the Tennessee legislature is wanting to make a statue of Dolly. And Dolly's like, please, don't make a statue, you know. But she appreciates so much the honor because of what she's meant to our state. About three years later, this song came out. Lucille by Kenny Rogers. Anybody remember that one? You know, you picked a fine time to leave me. Uh, I think there was a parody called Loose Wheel, if I remember correctly, Uh, you know, that came out sometime later. But Loose Seal, I remember it. Uh, I was in high school at the time that that song came out. Really pushed Kenny Rogers way up the charts, crossed over into the pop chart some with a lot of his songs that followed. Both songs, however, were songs about betrayal. I mean, both of them was. Jolene was trying to steal, you know, uh, the the, the person in the song's husband. Whereas Lucille was leaving her husband. I mean, with four small children and a crop in a field, if you remember the song. I mean, both songs about betrayal. And what's interesting is is that if you go back about uh, 3,000 years, there was another song written about betrayal. And the title of it, well, there's not a title, but we could call it Doeg. Because Doeg was the name of the character in this particular song. And by the way, it got pretty popular. In fact, it was number 52 in the songbook of ancient Israel. It was a song written by David about a man who was wow, you want to talk about a a betrayer, a henchman, a sorry, no good, low down. Well, we'll get more into it in a moment. And by the way, you see the tabernacle here because it's going to all begin with a visit by David of all places to the house of worship. Now, we've been looking at David's life. We looked at how he was anointed first by Samuel. Following the anointing, he then went into Saul's service first as a musician. He could play the lyre. He could play it really good. And because of that, and because Saul was going through some really depressing times, David came into his service. And of course it wasn't long. He killed Goliath. He got a command of a uh, battalion in the Israelite army. I mean, he began to move up the ranks. He was always successful in battle. And then they came out with another song. And that song had these lyrics in it. Saul has killed his thousands but David his tens of thousands and for some reason everybody loved that song except one guy and that one guy was Saul and that song just rubbed him raw and so from that point on he had I mean he had the evil eye out for David literally in the text he kept his eye on him and you remember that he began to plot and scheme. I've got to get rid of this young kid. I mean, this guy's getting all the glory that belongs to me. And so he, he, he planned and schemed. He even went so far as to give David his youngest daughter, Michal. But she came with a price. A price he was hoping David couldn't pay. A hundred Philistine lives. But David paid it, and he ended up having to give Michal to him as a wife. Well, Jonathan steps in. Jonathan's trying to fix things for David, but it's just not going well. And finally, Saul hurls another spear three times in the text. He tries to pin David to the wall each time while David's playing for him. I mean, Murray, could you imagine up here leading singing, dodging spears while you're doing it? I mean, that's just not something you want to do. And and the third time, David goes back to his apartment. We looked at it the last two weeks. Saul basically put out a death warrant on David, sent men out to bring him in the next uh, morning in order to execute him. And as we saw last week, uh, basically what happened is McCall lured him out a window, he escaped, and now the hunt was on. Breaking news, if you ever watch the national news, oftentimes they'll begin... Breaking news right now as we come on the air. Well, if you'd lived back in Israel 3,000 years ago, this would have been the breaking news. I mean, the first thing Saul, uh, excuse me, David does when he gets down out of that window is that he flees to Samuel. Samuel's the aged judge. He's the one who had anointed Saul. He's now way up in age. And so David goes to him and says, Samuel, you need to understand what's going on. And before long, Saul finds out about it, so he has to leave. He meets with Jonathan. Jonathan is Saul's oldest son, David's best friend. And he goes to Jonathan and he says, Jonathan, what is wrong with your dad? Man, he's trying to kill me, sick guys to arrest me and to execute me. What am I supposed to do? And Jonathan says, listen, I I think it's all a mess up. I think I can talk dad down. And so he goes to him and, and tries to talk him down. And the end result is Saul throws a spear at Jonathan. To which Jonathan came and said, David, uh, you better run. Dad's out to kill you. And then the third thing is, he finally goes to the tabernacle. Surely, I can go to the tabernacle and get some help. And so that's where we pick up in the story. Now, the tabernacle is located, if you'll notice up here, and I'm on the left screen up here, it's located at a little village called Nob. The capital is up here. This is Gibeah. It's kind of five miles just due north of Jerusalem. It would have been a small capital back then. You've got to remember, uh, Saul's the first king. And as the first king, he's just trying to get these 12 tribes united. And so uh, Gibeah is his capital. David lives right down here in Bethlehem. It's about five miles south of Jerusalem. And so everything was very close, 10, 15 miles apart from any of it. And so David heads down to Nob. And when he gets there, the high priest comes out and sees him walking up by himself. Now you got to remember, David's the number one military person in Israel at this time. I don't know how many of you watch professional wrestling. You know, I, I'm not. I'm not a watcher of wrestling. If I was, June would divorce me. I'm pretty sure. But, but, you know, I've kept up over the years. And, you know, it seems like every generation you've got your new hero as far as professional wrestling was concerned. I don't know how many of y'all remember back when I was a teenager, Memphis, Tennessee, Murray, Jerry Lawler. I mean, Jerry Lawler was the best until uh, Tojo Yamamoto would come down to Memphis. And he'd have the wo- wooden shoe, and you knew you were in trouble. Well, Ahimelech kind of felt that way. David comes walking up, the guy who had killed Goliath, who had killed 200 Philistines. What does he want? And notice in the text, he comes out and he's scared. Why are you alone and why, why is no one with you? You know, are you, are you down here for some specific person or reason? And, and I suspect what's going on is Ahimelech, he's hearing the stories coming out of Gibeah. He's at the tabernacle, for heaven's sakes. People are coming down there and sacrificing, and they're whispering, and they're talking. And Himalek knows something's going on between Saul and David. He doesn't know what. I mean, this is Saul's son-in-law, for heaven's sake. What could be going wrong? Something is. And so he comes down and he says, You know, why are you here and by yourself? And David says to him, the king has sent me on a secret mission. No one is to know anything about it, uh, what he's sending me on. As for my men, I've told them to meet me at a certain place. Now, David very likely did have a handful of men with him at this time. And they probably are somewhere hiding. uh, Because he's going to be asking for bread for his men as well. And, And Jesus even talks about them eating the bread. But David is here, and one of the things that you see David doing is he's being deceptive. And what's fascinating is, is that if you open the commentaries, if you listen to the teaching and the preaching on this, you've got either one of two extremes. You either have people over here saying, let's just call what David did what it is. He lied. Said Saul had sent him on a mission. He had not. He was running from Saul. David lied. Then you have people on the other side going, no, 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 David didn't lie. He, he was deceptive because he's trying to protect Ahimelech. And, and so what's going on here? And, and the answer to that question is, is that we live in a fallen world. And sometimes in a fallen world, we even as Christians are left with only one of two choices, both of which are the lesser of two evils. You go, what what, what do you mean by that? Well, if you go back just one chapter, you have Saul. David's fled. Saul's trying to find him. Jonathan's trying to find out, okay, is dad really, really angry at David? I mean, is this repairable? And there's a new moon festival. And so they meet for the new moon festival. All the seats are there in in the palace. David's seat is empty. It's empty the first day, it's empty the second day. And so on the second day, Saul asked Jonathan, why has the son of Jesse not come to the feast? Neither yesterday or today. And Jonathan said, oh yeah, Dad, David came to me and asked for permission to go to Bethlehem. His brother sent word that they were having a special sacrifice down there, and so I let him go. Now, if you know anything about the text, you know that's not the truth. Jonathan is being deceptive in order to figure out his dad really, really angry. And this is where Saul takes the spear and tries to pin him to the wall. Yes, he is. And and, and so one of the things you find in life is that sometimes we don't have a good choice. I've often wondered if I'd lived in Germany during World War II, and if my next-door neighbors had been Jews who were friends of mine, would I have hid them? Would I put them in the basement or up in the attic? Would I try to protect them so that the Nazis, because everybody knew what the Nazis were doing to them. And if somebody had come and knocked on my door, the SS, maybe the Gestapo. Have you seen the family that lives next door? We're looking for them. you have any idea where they are? I mean, would I as a Christian thought, ooh, I can't lie. Oh no, I've not seen them anywhere. I mean, uh, you know, would I'd lied or would I'd said, oh yeah, they're upstairs, go get them. You see why sometimes we get caught in difficult situations? One of my best friends for many years, now going to be with the Lord, in his younger days was a narcotics officer for Metro Police. And he used to tell me stories about when he worked for the police department. Him doing undercover work. Work where he would act like a drug dealer in order to get in with other drug dealers. Where he would tell them that, yeah, I'm, you know, I've been selling drugs for this, you know, and I've sold drugs. And, 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 and before long, of course, would then arrest them and, and take them in. And I don't know if you've ever thought about how many jobs in our government, state, local, even federal government that has to involve deception in order to make them work. You see, everything in our world is not always black and white. And, and so, you know, here's Saul, and he says, I sent him to Bethlehem. And I mean, Jonathan's saying, I sent him to Bethlehem, and Saul just coming unglued because of it. And so, when David was deceptive to Ahimelech, I think we probably need to give at least David the best intentions. He goes on as he gets there, and he says, now then, what do you have on hand? Give me five loaves of bread or whatever is there. And the preacher said, well, I don't have any ordinary bread, only the holy bread, the show bread that was there inside the tabernacle that we've just brought out. And, of course, the law said that only people who were priests could eat that bread. But he says, if you and your young men have been pure, I'll give you the bread. And, and once again, you're looking at a Ahimelech going, wait a minute. Ahimelech, the law is very specific. Only the priests can eat that bread. And yet, look at what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 12 when people condemned his apostles for eating grain on the Sabbath day, picking it and eating it from the fields. He said, you've read about David, how that he and his companions, companions ate the consecrated bread, which was not lawful for them to do. Notice that. But then he ends by saying, but you need to learn what these words mean. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. Or put very simply, mercy always trumps rule-keeping. Now, I grew up in Churches of Christ. My middle name is Leslie Rule-Keeping Chapman. I'm serious. I mean, I'm the only, probably the only student that ever attended Fried Hardeman that never snuck out of his dorm room. And you're like, why? Because I keep rules. And yet, we all need to learn this very important principle. David goes on. He asks for a spear he gives him, uh, or, or a sword, and he gives him the sword of Goliath. And boy, what a sword it was. And he said, you know, I've got it. David said, give it to me. There's none like it. And then, in verse 7 of chapter 21, you're introduced to Doeg. Now, one of Saul's servants was there that day, detained before the Lord. He was Doeg, the chief shepherd of Saul. I like the way the NET says it, who was in charge of Saul's shepherds. He's not a shepherd himself. He's a manager of shepherds. He's an administrator there in, in Saul's administration. And, and, it, and the text says he's detained before the Lord. Now, that doesn't mean that he's a spiritual man. If you read Psalm 52, you realize that very quickly. Very likely what's going on is he's over the sheep. By the way, what does the tabernacle need sheep for? sacrificing, right? And so I suspect he's down here selling sheep to the high priest. And he's there, and he sees David, and boy, the red flag goes off. Well, what follows is a cat-and-mouse game where Saul's trying to catch David, but he can't. And he gets so frustrated that one day he's there in Gibeah, and the text says that he's under a tamarisk tree. And he's sitting there, and he's got a spear in his hand, and he's just absolutely fuming. He's furious. And notice what he says as his descent into depravity takes place. It begins with, of course, this whole concept of violence. Notice there, if you go back to the text just earlier, he's standing or sitting there with a spear in his hand. I mean, you kind of see the flavor of where the text is going. And so right off the bat, he's he's already showing that violence has filled his heart. And then he says to the men of Benjamin, listen, you men of Benjamin, Will the son of Jesse give you fields and vineyards? Will he make you commanders of thousands and commanders of hundreds? Put very simply, he says, listen, guys, if you want positions of power, you've got to go through me. Now, notice, it's not about God. God's completely out of Saul's mind at this point. It's all about Saul. He keeps going and he says, is that why you have all conspired against me? You ever notice when people begin to spiral down that they can't see good in anyone? I mean, notice the text there as he says, listen, you've all conspired. I mean, there's this giant conspiracy going on, and every one of you are in on it. One of my favorite movies is Shawshank Redemption. Beautiful movie about hope and And there's a scene in it where the warden of this prison, I mean, he turns to all the guards and everyone else, and he says, this is a conspiracy, and all of you are in on it. As he throws rocks at people. I can't help but think of Saul when he says that. And he says, is that why you have all conspired against me, and no one tells me when my son makes a covenant with the son of Jesse? It's not just y'all. Jonathan. I own flesh and blood. The one who's supposed to follow me in the throne, he too is in on it. And notice, he's allowed Jesse to lie in wait for me as he does today. Now, if you know anything about what's going on, David's not lying in wait. David's running for his life. But in Saul's mind, I mean, everyone's telling lies. Everyone. Everyone's lying. It's all one giant lie. David's there, and he's ready to pounce on me at any second. And then Doeg sees the opportunity. Doeg's there, by the way. And boy, when he hears Saul and how depressed he is and angry with everyone, boy, he sees a chance. Boy, here's my opportunity to move up. And so he says, listen, I saw the son of Jesse. He came to Ahimelech, son of a heat tube at Nob. And Ahimelech inquired of the Lord for him. He also gave him provisions and gave him the sword of Goliath, the Philistine. Thanks, Doeg. You're, you're a good friend. I mean, he sees his chance and he pounces at it. And what's so sad about it is it allows Saul now to focus his attention. Now he's got someone to blame. You see, it's not David. It's not Jonathan. It's not all of his men. It's the high priest. I mean, when all else fails, blame the high priest. And so he calls for Ahimelech. And he says, listen to to me now, son of Ahitub. And Ahimelech says, yes, my Lord. And he says, why have you conspired? You've done it too. You're the high priest of God, but you've conspired against me. You and the son of Jesse, you gave him bread, sword, inquired of the Lord, so that he's rebelled against me and lies in wait as he does today. And you can just hear the anger. Himelech says, who of all your servants? Is loyal as David? I mean, Saul... He's your son-in-law. He's the captain of your bodyguard. He's highly respected in your whole household. And by the way, was that the first time I've inquired of the Lord for him? No. He says, listen, I don't know what you're talking about. But when you get further and further down into sin, it doesn't make any difference what the reasons are. You're not listening anymore. And watch what Saul does. Then the king ordered the guards at his side, turn and kill the priest of the Lord. I want Ahimelech and all of his kids and cousins, I want all of them dead. And it's fascinating that that they were not even willing to do it. I mean, they were absolutely scared to death, even though he ordered their murder. They said, we're not going to do it. I mean, Saul, you've crossed the line. I mean... That's the point of no return. You want us to kill the priest of Yahweh? Are are you out of your mind? And of course the answer is, of course he is. And then Doeg steps in. Good old Doeg. Doeg knew the truth about Ahimelech, but had absolutely no fear of God or concern for his his fellow man. He was consumed by his lust for power and wealth. That's all he was concerned about. And so Saul turns to Doeg and says, you strike them down. And one of the saddest stories in the entire Old Testament, Doeg does it. Notice he kills 85 men who were there that day, executes them. 85 priests. Then he goes to Nob and he kills all the men, women, children, infants, cattle, donkeys, sheep. Kills everything. Because he was wanting to please Saul. And it's one of those examples in Scripture of where God had commanded Saul, I want you to totally destroy the Amalekites. And Saul couldn't do it. But Saul told Doeg, I want you to completely destroy the priesthood. And boy, he did it. Except, if you notice the three dots there. There was a son by the name of Abiathar. And he escaped that day. He went to David and said, Saul's killed all of them. All of them. Everybody in my family. All of them are gone. And David said, that day when Doeg the Edomite was there, I knew he he would be sure to tell Saul. And then he says, I'm responsible for the death of your whole family. It's my fault. Now, did David do it? No. But something David did did contribute to it you know it's amazing how oftentimes we feel guilt even though we may not be the actual one that commit the sin or the crime or or even something innocent many of you know that when i was 17 years old i lost my older brother to an airplane crash Uh, my older brother just graduated from freed was a youth minister in the church and about 10 years later i'm at mid-south youth camp outside of henderson and And a gentleman walks up to me and he says, are you Les Chapman? And I said, yes, I am. And he said, was your older brother Rex? And I said, yeah, my older brother was Rex. He said, I need to tell you something, and I don't know how it's going to come across, but I've just got to tell you. He said, I'm the reason your brother was on that plane. He said, you see, I was supposed to be on that plane, and the night before I called the pilot and told him I wasn't going, and so he called your brother instead. you've never had that happen, you don't know how to respond. I mean, here was someone who for 10 years had carried the guilt of backing out of a a plane ride that cost four men their lives, including my older brother. I think that's the way David felt here. Even though he had not actually done it, he, he hadn't done anything wrong. His actions had caused a lot of people's lives. And so he says, stay with me. Abiathar, you stay here. The man who wants to kill you is trying to kill me too. You'll be safe with me. And the reason? is Because of what we learned last week. Why? Because God was David's fortress. And so as we kind of walk through this text, we see David as he's processing all of this. And next week... John Micah is going to be sharing a lesson from Psalm 52. And I hope you'll listen as you hear David's anguish, as he thinks, wow, I mean, if Doeg had just not been there, how things would have turned out so different. Thanks for being here today. So glad you've come to be with us. Uh, Once again, grab your hymn books, uh, number 40, and I want to ask Murray to come back because if there's a song that summarizes beautifully What David needed at that time. And what we need today is this beautiful song uh, that L.O. Sanderson was involved in. Let's everyone please stand, and after the singing of this song, we'll be dismissed.